It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. It's 1 o'clock, it's Tuesday, so it's time for Talent Talk. And I'm very excited uh, to have two great guests today talking to us about talent and all of the cool things that they're doing. You know, that's really how the show began, is I love to get talented people, uh, get them off to a corner, and ask them 100 questions and find out all the things that they're doing, what they're thinking about, maybe what they're worried about. Um, and how they're managing their talent and what secrets I might be able to learn from them. And so instead of it me just being me who got to learn all these things, we decided to make a show out of it and have you, anyone, be able to tune in and, and hear what we talked about. So, in fact, there's been so many great stories of the last four or five years we've been doing this show that turned into a book called The Power of Company Culture, which is now a bestseller that I've written, um, came out this year. I'd love to have you check it out on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Um, there's been so many inspiring and fast, fantastic leaders that provided stories and context for what, what makes a great company culture. I'm really proud of that. So um, Talent Talk is live here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you can access us through the live show or most of you come in uh, through the podcast, uh, get us on iTunes or listen to us on our radio. In fact, over 10,000 of you a day came in uh, just recently, uh, which is just uh on track for millions of downloads this month. Really appreciate everyone coming on various platforms. Big thank you to everyone who's a regular part of the show. And one of the other really fun things we love to do is to keep the conversation going, and we do that on Twitter. So you might see our post on Facebook or LinkedIn, and that's great. You can comment there. We love those. But if you want to ask a direct question right now or after the show, if you want to you know, keep that conversation going, we suggest you send comments and questions to at PeopleG2 on Twitter if you got room, use that hashtag talent talk. That's how my producer might make sure he finds everything. And if you do happen to send it to us live in the show, he will ping me <clears throat> while we're talking and I can try to work it in. So um, as I said, we have two great guests today. My first guest will be uh, Kimberly Lanier, uh, co-founder of Expedition. And my second guest will be Renee, uh, uh, I think it's Fraser, CEO of uh, Fraser Communications. We'll find out if I've messed up that name or not in the second half of the show, which wouldn't be completely unusual for me. Um, anyways, but let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Uh, Kimberly, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. I'm happy to be here. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and, you know, what's important for us to know about you and our, for our conversation today. And of course, uh, more about your current role in your company, what you're doing over there at Expedition. Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, well, I've spent most of my career in the field of employee engagement, um, got more than 20 years in a variety of roles, helping fortune level 
companies uh, define their employee engagement solutions and tool sets. Uh, I've helped co-found a national association for uh, employee recognition and engagement. Um, most recently, I've been a judge for the Global Employee Engagement Awards and helping to evolve that uh, set of best practices uh, globally. And as a co-founder at Expedition, we're really a company that helps organizations develop and evolve experience management, um, or we call it XM models and tools and solutions for their, for their businesses. Um, we believe that experience management needs to be approached holistically at the enterprise level and that it incorporates kind of most a, a market-based orientation and is impl implemented across the functions and down into the organization. We really founded the principle, founded the company on the principle that we live in the experience economy, and in many cases it's the number one competitive differentiator that a business has. Yeah, and so it sounds like you guys are really, you're really um, covering a lot of different areas. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the um, Expedition Exchange and how this can help leaders better develop their engagement practices. Well, when we put the, the, the expedition model together with customers at the center, one of the number one drivers of a customer experience is, are your employees. And employee experience, when you look at it holistically, the different parts of the employee experience, we look at it in, across seven different dimensions, an organization's purpose, how the work is done inside of an organization, the social system of an organization, um, the personal growth initiatives that an organization has and the employee's ability to realize potential, the types of um, programs or initiatives they have to appreciate great work inside of an organization, as well as different um, levels of advocacy in terms of supporting and recommending both the company's products and solutions, as well as being a great place to work and, and different well-being initiatives. So when we work at a leadership level, we try to uh, understand where an organization is and their employee experience practices across that seven-dimension model. And it's my understanding that you guys have researched over 10,000 companies um, as a part of your work. What are some of the findings when it comes to success of those companies? Um, Especially around those that maybe have a strong customer-centric uh, culture, what, what what were some of the, you know, positive things that you were, you were seeing out of that research? Yeah, there's so many different data points that that research was able to highlight. But some of the more interesting ones were that more than um, it's probably no surprise that 92% of those who responded said that customer experience is core to the business. But the really interesting element, Chris, is that only 14% of those claim that their companies have been successful at becoming a more customer-centric organization, which the gap there is a pretty, pretty wide one. 45% um, of those practitioners say that their company may not survive if it doesn't change the structure and the process, and most importantly, the culture inside the organization to align with the way the customer wants to do business with them. So yeah, that that's, and that's, that's a fascinating point because so many companies, um, it, it's often like, you know, they say it's important, but then do they really do it, right? I mean, do they really put the things in place to make that happen? Do you think there's a disconnect as to why they don't do that? Well, I, what the research also 
recover uh, uncovered is not only the disconnect, but really the different silos emerge. The businesses are often running at such a fast and furious pace that they're only looking at their function. Um, the research, the survey results show, showed that an average of 4.4 senior executives are responsible for managing the customer experience. And that spans kind of on the product side, the employee experience side, the customer experience side. And there's a lot of coordination that a lot of businesses just don't have, they don't stop and connect the dots and bridge the silos intentionally inside of an organization. So that was one of the pivotal conclusions of the, the research. Yeah, and I imagine, you know, like you said, there's lots of different data points. I mean, what are what are some of the tools or analytics you find most telling uh, when you're helping uh, people or, or companies figure out, you know, inside of that company, um, you know, which, which things are the most effective, you know, which engagement strategies or which, you know, processes, how are you guys helping them figure out what's most effective? Yeah, so from an expedition standpoint, we help do a assessment or diagnostic on where an organization is on the maturity continuum across the different experience domains. And this often helps leaders set a baseline of where an organization is in terms of defining the current state, where some of the bigger gaps are and things that they might need to prioritize in terms of addressing first. Um, also help them benchmark where they stand in relation to their peers in the marketplace that gives them visibility to create an action plan from an experience management standpoint. You know, specifically relating to the employee experience component of that diagnostic or assessment, we often will work with them to understand where their engagement scores are now, what types of listening programs that they have in place to monitor employee sentiment throughout the organization, and if they have certain programs or initiatives, um, if they're tracking those, really understanding where they, um, where those programs and initiatives stand in terms of the outcomes that they're seeing inside the business. Yeah, and and you know, you and I kind of seem to share a uh, excitement and passion for employee engagement, um, and uh, love that you get to kind of play in that every day. Um, you know, are there kind of key things or important things that you've learned over your years of kind of focusing on the subject? And, you know, if you wouldn't mind, you know, kind of sharing a couple of those, I'd, I'd love to know kind of what you're really seeing as the most important things in that area. Yeah, you know, one of these days I keep telling myself I'm going to have to write a book about that and take your lead. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, really, it comes down to five core lessons learned over so what has so far been a wonderful career um, spent helping, you know, hundreds of fortune-level organizations wrestle and grapple with these challenges. Um, and they're pretty basic, really, um, almost deceptively so. The first lesson learned is really understanding what people want at the heart of their work relationship with their employer. And that really boils down to what do you want me to do, how do you want me to do it, how am I doing, what's in it for me, and why is this important? Um, so when you start answering those fundamental questions um, as an organization, you really get at the heart of what employees want and what will make them feel more engaged. The second lesson is really having a strategy 
in place for employee experience. And you'd be surprised how many organizations don't. They just kind of iterate and evolve and respond to the demands of the business. But it really, for, for Exum to be strategic, there has to be, it has to be connected to other initiatives inside the organization intentionally. And kind of related to having a strategy is having a plan. Um, I've seen more than my fair share of really beautiful decks or strategies, but if an organization doesn't have the ability to execute, it's really just a work of fiction. Um, the planning really needs to drill down in a specific area, action plans that um, where leaders are held accountable for executing against them. The fourth lesson learned is really kind of the power of storytelling. Um, I had advice very early in my career, which has really played out, that nobody knows how well you're doing until you tell them how well you're doing. And the power of storytelling inside of an organization just can't be understated in terms of um, helping employees feel like we're winning the game and, you know, where they are and, and how they're doing and, and what's happening next. And the last component of the lesson learned is really um, it might seem related to storytelling, but it's it's kind of a cousin, and that's socializing the great things that are happening. Storytelling is important, but it's kind of a top-down process, um, but it's equally as important to have the right tools to support the organic socialization of goals, great work, accomplishments, milestone achievements, and results. Yeah, and those are just... Uh... Uh, awesome things that you have laid out for us. And what I find really interesting is you've sort of, you know, kind of encapsulated them in maybe a little bit different way for many of them than what other people who we've had on the show have really talked about. Um, and certainly um, telling that story and, and then being able to socialize it inside of there really to me stood out as some things that people really should be doing, but they tend to do a pretty bad job at it. Exactly. You, you know, exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. I often, um, I often tell this funny story about something happened to me on an airplane, but essentially, you know, the pilot was speaking in one language, and then when he gave the directions in English, it was a, the three words, right? He 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 did talk for ten minutes in the other language, but when he did English, it was three words, and I felt a lot like a typical employee inside of an organization where maybe senior leadership is in a boardroom, speaking and figuring it out and talking and digesting, and then they come out and they tell everyone, "This is what we're doing now," and then they shut the door again without any, you know, t real conversation or stories or, or, or value propositions behind it. So uh, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. Um, um, you definitely ahead. captured it well. You yeah. definitely captured it well. I was just agreeing with you. So, you know, uh, we I still run into companies and I still talk to people that don't quite get the importance of engagement. They understand that probably they should be doing it. They figure it's nice if their employees could be happier. Um, they've heard that maybe they might be more successful or profitable. But, you know, can, can you really distill what the ultimate importance is and really what it, you know, what it means for companies that haven't taken on engagement uh, as one of their core, you know, initiatives inside their organizations? Yeah, the, the great thing about the last five years is that there's more case studies and research than ever that shows how investments in this area really drop to the bottom line. Um, so, so four key areas that come to mind, 
are that when engaged employees are aligned to a company's purpose through shared values, purpose, and vision, what happens is there is alignment inside of an organization. We're all, to use a probably an overused cliche, we're all rowing in the same direction. Um, and that can be a real catalyst for achieving goals and objectives overall um, quicker and in a more consistent way. The second area that really shows up on the bottom line is around retention. Engaged employees are less likely to leave the company. And there's so much research and so many data points out there that illustrate that. And today's, um, today is an employee marketplace when you have almost full employment. So it, it shows up on the bottom line even more because the cost to attract, retain um, an employee is increasingly higher and higher. So retention is a big issue. Um, engaged employees are more likely to give discretionary effort, which shows up in a lot of different areas and in a lot of different ways in terms of productivity. It means at the heart of it that the same number of employees can achieve more output. They give better ideas. Um, they work a little longer. They're really fully committed and connected to the organization. Um, Another uh, fourth section that shows up on the bottom line has to do with reputation or what we call advocacy behaviors. And as more and more um, social media and connections and people get their news and information that way, um, engaged employees are, are much more likely to demonstrate what we call advocacy behaviors. I know one year as a, as a judge, for the Employee Engagement Awards, one particular Fortune level company um, was able to demonstrate that engagement had driven the number one channel of distribution, this is an auto manufacturer, uh, for their new truck line was their friends and family program. So it was really interesting that the employees felt such pride in the product that they had uh, built and developed and engineered that they became the company's number one distribution channel um, to get the discount to promote the, the truck line. So whether it's promoting your products and services or whether it's net promoter behaviors of, hey, this is a great place to work to their friends and their family and their network, that translates you know, directly to an organization's bottom line. You know, how does purpose maybe kind of really work into all this? Because I, I've, you know, I've been on those, you know, committees and boards where you know, sit and are a judge in, in different competitions and evaluated many different companies. Um, and often I find those that win, that get it, they also seem to have a really strong purpose. And sometimes they are, have chosen a business line where it's very natural Right. They might be making medications that are saving millions of people. They might be, you know, providing educational services or something where they're really the impact is very obvious and, and direct um, as opposed to another company that maybe they're just making some widget that goes into something else that goes into something else and they're completely disconnected to it. Right. So can you talk about do, do you agree that you know purpose is, is something that is important and, and what do companies need to do to to really flush that out and make that a part of the overall engagement process. Because you know, there's one part about making employees happy, but there's another part about them doing work that I think that, that they find meaningful and they can really connect with, right? 
Well, you're exactly right, Chris. Uh, and I think that that's incumbent on every organization to tell that story. I mean, if you're a, a piece that's part of a, something bigger that's part of something bigger, I think you need to connect the dots. This becomes even more imperative that you connect those dots for your employees. And I've seen this done in manufacturing environments where it was just that, where it was part of something bigger that was a part of something bigger, or even something as arcane as light bulbs. Well, you know, we help the world see better. Um, you know, those are the types of dots you have to connect to a mission and a purpose. And, you know, and, and oh, by the way, dot, 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 we do it better than anybody else in the marketplace that has to become real for your employees to be committed and engaged to, um, you know, to the overall organization. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think for some companies, finding that is harder than others, and uh, it's definitely something that's worth their time to really dig out. So uh, switching gears, you know, uh, we've been asking a couple of these fun questions this year, and hopefully you have a fun answer for us. And that is, you know, is there an app or a gadget or a process or something you've added to your life this year that you can share with us? Uh, yeah, I, I love technology. Um, but I also believe that really good technology has to be additive, not just technology for technology's sake. Um, so there, there are a couple of my favorites. One of them is a company um, called Hoopla that does custom TV broadcast channels that help socialize great work and results around an organization in a fun and engaging way, like with news flashes and programming templates and everything. And I think that helps get us off of our apps and our laptops and our personal devices and really make an impact on the environment around us. So I really, um, I think that is a neat addition that helps um, drive cultural awareness of all that's going on inside of a company. Um, you know, there's another company that um, called Rideau Recognition up in Canada that does uh, has a, a tool for social recognition, but what's unique about them is that they have like prescriptive learning modules um, that help train employees or managers rather around how to engage and motivate and recognize their employees. And we know that middle managers are key to driving engagement uh, inside of an organization. So that's something that's kind of neat and innovative and, and bleeding edge. And one of the things that that aside from the diagnostic tools at Expedition that we're addressing at Expedition, we see a kind of a gaping hole in the marketplace around experience management, and we're, we're building something that's free, um, which is an, an app where you can download content around experience management, digital content, and short little micro-learning courses and so forth to help put everybody on the same page um, around experience management. It, it isn't fully built yet, but, uh, you know, we see that as kind of a need out in the in the marketplace. Well, fantastic. I'll definitely need to check those out. And what about uh, books? Is there a book you're reading right now or one that you typically recommend people check out? Yeah, you know, I love um, reading, and I consume a ton of books and digital content and research, and I listen, of course, to podcasts like Talent Talk all the time. Um, but right now I'm rereading a book 
um, which is Influencer by Carrie Patterson. Um, I've read it before, not once, not twice, but three times. But I love to reconnect with the material. It's such a powerful uh, book to help people how to understand, um, people understand how to affect and drive and lead change at a very behavioral level in all kinds of organizations. So I, I read it with a fresh set of eyes every couple of years. Yeah, I'm rereading Tipping Point right now and having so that same experience, right, of just remembering and seeing it with a fresh perspective. And uh, re- go back and reading some of your favorites or books that really had a big impact to you. Uh, it seems to have exactly. such a huge um, uh, kind of reinforcing, I guess, uh, kind of a thing. So that's fantastic. Well, uh, you know, how can people find out more about you? How can they learn more about Expedition? What's the best way for people to get more information about you and the work that you're doing? Yeah, I love to talk about um, employee engagement and experience management, and I just encourage folks to reach out and contact me directly at Kimberly at Expedition.Exchange, and that is Expedition with just an X, sorry, X-P-E-D-I-T-I-O-N instead of the E. Um, So I will respond to everyone. Uh, You're welcome to check out our website at www.expedition.exchange. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for being a part of the show today and giving us so many uh, great insights uh, and and talking about your passion for employee engagement. So uh, hopefully we have you come back at some point, give us an update of everything you're doing. But thank you so much for being a part of the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to uh, coming back at some point. All right. I'm going to take a quick commercial break and we're right back with my second guest, Renee Frazier. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Kimberly Lanier, you can listen to her interview uh, by going to iTunes or iHeartRadio, listening there, or even TalentTalkRadio.com and pick up that uh, interview. This That interview and the one we're just about to do will show up sometime next week there. But you can also check out all of our past interviews for the last five years. Um, there's some really remarkable people that have been, been fortunate enough to have on the show. We'd love to have you check those out. Um, okay, my next guest, uh, if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, is Renee Frazier, uh, as a CEO of Frazier Communications, and we'll find out if I've screwed that up or not. But uh, don't forget, you can send your questions and comments at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. But Renee, thank you for joining me on today's show. Happy to be here. And you've got it right. It's Renee Frazier. Perfect. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, you know, what's important for us to know for our conversation here today. And of course, tell us all about Frazier Communications and what you're doing. 
so I run Frazier Communications, which, believe it or not, is 20 years old this year. And uh, we're a, a, a full-service marketing and advertising firm. And what that means is we now lead with digital and social media, but we also put together influencer programs, television, radio, outdoor, whatever the right mix is for our clients to make them effective in the marketplace. And our clients include Lexus, the car company, on a national basis, New Vision, East West Bank. We're also doing digital advertising for Hyundai, the car company. And we work a lot with the state of California. We have a great campaign all about the importance of talking, reading, and singing to children in their first five years because a vast amount of the brain actually develops the fastest-growing period outside of the womb for the brain of a child is the first three years of life. And that's sponsored by First Five California. In California, we're pretty progressive. We have a tax on tobacco that for the last uh, 18 years has paid for education for parents, and that's First Five California. So that's just a sample of some of the campaigns we work on for our clients. Well, and that last uh, one that you mentioned about singing and talking to your child, uh, being a California resident, I have seen that one many times. So it's, uh, I'm glad to hear yeah. that. I am very glad to hear that. We've been doing that for six years. We have another three years to go on the contract, and we're really reaching parents of all, all persuasions that we, have. we do it in over 16 languages throughout the state. So I'm glad you've heard the messaging. We even have Mario Lopez, who's donated his time to help share the message and talk about his own children, along with uh, quite a few people on uh, Univision and, uh, and other uh, uh, stations that have been helping with us uh, telling the message in their own words, which has been fantastic. So uh, obviously you're you're uh, connected and doing some really important things. Let's maybe kind of just start with uh, you know a simple question, and that is you know really from the work that you've done in the last twenty years, the things that you've been focused on. What do you feel are the qualities that make it, you know a strong leader? You know, it's a good question. It's changed over time, I have to admit. You know, 20 years ago when I started the company and before that when I worked in corporate America, women felt they had to act like men, be command and control to be in charge. And I've seen emotional intelligence grow in importance and some of the characteristics that I believe I have as a woman leader start to become more dominant, more appreciated. So a couple of things that I've learned about qualities that make leaders strong. One is be very willing to listen and truly hear from people, your, your compatriots. Uh, too often I think people feel they have to have all the answers themselves when in truth the better leader actually takes ideas from others around them, sometimes repackages them, sometimes positions them, but always gives credit and then uses that input to be able to lead a team. It makes you be perceived as much stronger. It makes your ideas much stronger. And it takes some of the pressure off that you feel like you have to always have all the answers. The other thing I've learned as a leader is to mix up my team. You know, I, I think, again, one of our, our common tendencies in business is what we would call unconscious bias. We tend to choose people who are like ourselves because it's easy and it comes naturally. And we assume that because they're like us, they'll think like us, they'll have some of the same skill sets. But in reality, we have to go out of our way to find diverse points of view. The research shows it clearly now that you get more creativity, more fresh thinking, and you avoid groupthink when you bring together people from different ages, different race, different gender, even different parts of the country and the world because you get a fresh perspective. So I guess those are the two things that I've learned uh, that's made me a stronger leader in the most recent past. Yeah, those are uh, 
really a kind of a, a fresh perspective in talking about how it's changed and and especially for for women leaders uh, especially uh, which obviously you have a, a lot to to contribute towards um you know as leaders we, we all make mistakes um we have our own challenges and failures and things like that Maybe what was one mistake you made as a leader that has stood out that you might share with us well, I think this notion of um, being in charge and command and control, not asking for help. You know, I, I think that in the past I, I made a mistake of not paying attention to other people's points of view. And I was feeling like in order to demonstrate my conviction, my strength, my ability to lead, I felt like I had to always be in charge. And sometimes that meant I made mistakes and I jumped too fast. I was in one client meeting where my employees had told me we had some deadlines that we had to face. And we were sitting with the CEO of a very, very large corporation. And he got pulled out of the meeting because of an important decision that had to be made. And later I learned it was on the news front page of the, the newspaper at the time. And, uh, you know, he turned and said, is there anything we have to decide today? And I mistakenly said, yes, there's something we have to decide because we have a deadline with the media. And that was a stupid thing to say. In fact, nothing was that important. But I felt I had to look strong and responsive. My team going there had said, we've got to get a deadline, we've got to get an approval. And I succumbed to that, and that was a big mistake. I sensed it when I was in the room. I heard about it later. And there was no reason for me to put my client, in this case, on the spot. One of the things I've, I've learned the hard way is that you have to really, really be empathetic to the other side of the table, if you will. I think we, we, mar- we go in with marching orders. We feel like we have to get things done and check off the boxes or get a signature on a contract. When in reality, if you're empathetic to the other person's point of view, you're going to score points. And in the long run, that's the longer view, you're going to win. But you might in the short run have to look at uh, changing your deadlines or your dates. And I think that comes somewhat with maturity to be able to realize that. And I have to say, you know, it's a benefit not having a a headquarters office looking over my shoulder for short-term numbers and short-term gains. One of the reasons I started my own company was so that I could be in charge of my own destiny. And I've got the 25 great people who work with me every day who help make the decisions and who understand sometimes we take a longer-term perspective rather than a shorter-term perspective, and we're empathetic to our client's point of view. It's so frustrating because often you come into a meeting with what you thought was your brief or your assignment from two weeks before, and when you sit down, you can tell the mood has changed, and sure enough, the objectives have changed, and it's not their fault. It's that the circumstances have changed, and we have to be empathetic to that even though we Put in a lot of work to get to where we are for the meeting. <clears throat> Sometimes you have to readjust and sit back and, 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 again, put on that empathy and realize, okay, let's listen to it from their point of view and open our minds. So that's a long answer, but a mistake that I made, and I've certainly learned from it. Yeah, and, and you really kind of brought up uh, two, two really important things there. I mean, that idea of the command and control, and I've, I think we've said in the show many times that Often a lot of that comes just from a lack of our understanding or lack of maybe management knowledge, right? We learn from our parents. We learn from our sports coaches and our teachers. Mm-hmm. Command and control is how they do it, um, which 
right or wrong is is probably the number one strategy because you know don't touch the hot stove because I said so is 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 important. Um, and you know, don't, don't go swimming without, you know, an adult is an important thing. And there is a, a certain level of command and control and keeping children safe. But as we become adults, it doesn't seem to kind of ever go away, right? There's this lingering command and control with those people that were, were around. And I think often people have to learn how to, a different strategy or how to change out of that. And then, and then you really kind of went, you know, 180 degrees and talked about another great one, which is empathy. Right. And mm-hmm. understanding what's really happening in that situation and, you know, understanding who you're around and what they really need from you uh, in making your decisions. So thank you for for opening up about that. I know it's not always easy to talk about the mistakes we've made in our lives, but uh, those were two great examples. So thank you for that. You, you know, you talked about in building a team, uh, bringing in diverse thought, diverse backgrounds and, um, you know, people that maybe don't always fit that model of, you know, are they like me or will they think like me or uh, or that. Are there other things that you, you tend to look for or you suggest uh, you know, other teams and companies they should be looking for as they're building a team? I think it's important to look at the, um, <clears throat> the spectrum of the skill sets that you have. Uh, you know, there are typically four different types of groups, and you can look at different personality tests that exist that are out there. You'll have a very detail-oriented individual who's in the weeds on the details. You'll have people who are great at camaraderie and building spirit with people and creating a team spirit so that everyone goes along. You'll have someone who's a natural leader who likes to identify the tasks and gets people going. And then the fourth quadrant is typically somebody who's more creative. So I, I think as you look at your team, you think you have to think to yourself, too, we have every base covered. And I, the hardest in, in my world is creativity. I, I've been an ad agency, so we have a lot of creative people in the sense of the nature of the industry and what we attract. But we have to go out of our way to create opportunities and environments for new ideas and fresh thinking. One of the things that I like best about our new world is social media, the opportunity to post things that are kind of out there and different, that cause you to think differently about the world, uh, the, the use of art to get you to see another person's perspective. So when you develop a team and even the culture and the environment you're in, I think it's important as a leader to try to bring people in who are a little off the wall, who bring a whole new perspective. And at first, everybody's like, what the heck? Why are we wasting our time? This is so strange. This is out of our comfort zone. As soon as you say that, it's a good thing. It means you're thinking beyond yourself. And you have to be able to do that, particularly now with change happening as fast as it happens in our world. You have to be able to stay on top of that pace. One of my, two of my adages here at Fraser Communications, one is I always want us to be on the horizon looking at what's coming next. From my point of view, I want the client to hear from us about uh, artificial intelligence and augmented reality and virtual reality. Even if they can't afford it in the programs we're doing for them, I want them to know that Frazier's on top of it and watching it for them. A second adage is I'm very big about building our clients' business, not their ad budget, not their marketing budget, not the money that comes to us, just helping them grow their business. And that means new ideas, fresh ways of thinking, ways of looking at the distribution for them, or their pricing, or a line extension. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an assignment for us, but it shows that we have their best interests at heart. Because ultimately, if we care about them as individuals, empathetic to how they grow their careers, and then also about their businesses and how they meet their own business goals, it will benefit us in the long run. So I want my team to embrace those things, 
And that means they have to come from very different backgrounds and feel free to bring new kind of off-the-wall ideas. I mean, here's a funny example. Uh, at Frasier, every Friday we have a, a wellness event. Like We usually do yoga for everybody in the, who wants to attend, and it's free to the employees. <clears throat> One of my employees said, why don't we do a sound bath? And I said, what's a sound bath? <laughs> and I learned about it. You lie down on the ground on a mat, and they play this amazing melodic sounds that kind of go deep into your soul, and the vibrations actually change the way you think. And I know it sounds a little out there, but that's my point. We should be out there. We have to try and experiment with new things. And it makes life a heck of a lot more fun. So I try always to find team members that bring new ideas, and I try to stay ahead of that with the help of my employees. So is is that really a, a the main strategy on how leaders might think about staying ahead of things and on top of their game and really progressing along with their employees? Um, I notice some you know there are some types of leaders that are always trying to grow and get better, and there are other leaders that are trying to make sure that nobody passes them, and that's. Yeah, oh, yeah, sort no of a way, negative no connotation, well, right? So a negative approach. I think you gotta. I think you have to be the pace runner. You try to set the pace, but let them, you know, do the same thing. I one of the things that's important for us as leaders is to get away. We should go to conferences. We should attend speaking engagements. We need to read. I'm a regular reader of Harvard Business Review, and I'm a psychologist by training and very interested in research. So I also read a journal on advertising research regularly, and then I have a number of blogs I listen to on a regular basis. So I try to stay ahead of my learning, but I also want my employees to do the same thing. Uh, you know, it's funny, it's not a conscious like, oh, I'm on a race uh, to stay ahead of them. It's, it's just part of who I am. I, I love learning and love staying on top of things. And to me, that's what makes my job so much fun. One of the reasons I like advertising, as I mentioned, we have car clients, we have bank clients, we have hospital clients, we have health clients. We're just doing a campaign now on cannabis marijuana, talking to teens about why it's a good or a bad thing and letting them help shape the message. Well, the whole campaign came about as a result of working with teens in creative sessions. We're the first in the country to bring teens in, teach them storytelling, and then set them up in teams of five each, have them compete, and they told us the way they thought the story should be told. Out of that, we developed a, a rap video, uh, another video with a, an influencer who has over 6,000 followers, a young woman named Kish Kish. She did a great job. But here's the fun, wonderful fact from the campaign. When we asked the kids about marijuana, and these were 13 to 17, 18-year-olds, they came back with a hashtag, which we loved. It was hashtag bigger choices. Not hashtag better choices. Hashtag bigger choices. And what they told us, we have big choices to make. We are in high school. We could start our own company. We're going to get the, on the team we want. We want to get a scholarship. Our parents have worked really hard to get us so we can go to college. In many cases, the first in their family to go to college. So we have these big choices and big goals. And that's what they wanted the campaign to be about. So uh, my hat's off to them. The young people came to us with great ideas, and they helped us stay on top of their, our game. And our employees loved it. At first, it was like, oh, my God, what are you talking about? We came up with the ideas. We're not going to let teenagers come up with the ideas. But sure enough, we stepped back. We provided the process. And we learned along the way, and we came out with great product that we actually collaborated on with the teens. Yeah, and that sounds like uh, a really great process that you're able to really um, – you know, well, allow leaders and employees to, to come out on top. So that, that sounds, uh, sounds really, really great. Uh, I know you've worked with millennials. Has this sort of been a, 
uh, a topic on the the show for a few years now, and and the theories around managing and working with millennials. Maybe what are some of the tips you have with working with this generation or the newer generations as they come up um, in making their contributions effective and encouraging uh, also sort of our old school leaders, right, to embrace these differences? Now, we're at a really important, this time in 2018, I'm seeing a real uh, crisis in the workplace between the older generations and the younger generations. Crisis in the sense that they're really at odds with each other, particularly around technology, but how you use technology. Younger millennials have a fast way of getting things done, and that's they know it works, so why not use it? Older people, well, we haven't ever done it that way. I don't want to do it that way. And there's a lot of resistance between them. So you have to work really hard at getting people to embrace the differences. A couple of things that I have learned. One is to automatically assume that I don't have the answer. It's too easy for me to assume I do have the answer. I've been running this company, knock on wood, successfully now for 20 years, so I must be doing something right, but that doesn't mean I've got all the answers. So I have learned to stop, take a breath, and ask other people, particularly the millennials, how they want to do it. And in leading them on a team or on a project, I no longer micromanage. I tell them what the objective is, what the goal is. I give them a few of my thoughts, then I let them go. And I don't expect them to check back in with me until they want my input. Plus, I secondly learned give them a lot of feedback. They really want feedback. And be careful, because it shouldn't only be negative feedback. I think the older generation, we think feedback means criticism. And in the case of millennials, they want both criticism and positive praise. And uh, too often, older folks think, well, we wait until we do the review process. And it's a very elaborate process. And that's when we give the praise. No way. It should be as many times as you can, and even every day, certainly every week, to give positive feedback and constructive feedback. If you just make it negative feedback, it can become uh, difficult. Uh, a lot of the millennials are used to getting positive feedback, so they don't like so much criticism. They say they want feedback, and you think, well, this is part of it. The blend is the best approach. That's what I tell older people. Let's make sure you come in with the positives as well as negatives. Don't drill down too hard on the negatives. And then the other thing is just to let them go free. Millennials come at it from a different perspective. They have access to technology and information you didn't even realize they had. So allow them to come to you with the answers and then shape it. But give them a shot at it first and walk in with a blank sheet of paper, an open mind. Don't presume you have the answers. One of my friends has a, a jar in their office, and every time somebody says, that's not the way we did it before. They have to put a dollar in that jar because they don't want that set. Stop saying that's not the way we've done it. That's not the way we do it. You have to stop using that as your terminology and be open to a whole new way of doing it. You know, the next generation that we have to deal with is what we call Gen Z. Right now, there are 15 to 24-year-olds born in 1995 or later. And those folks are even more technology-driven. Some people call them iGen, like iPhone. And they are the ones who pick up their phone quickly. They don't even like to work in teams. They are so connected to technology and social media, they feel like they have the answers. They don't want to have to be dependent upon others. So that's going to be another set of challenges. They're also idealistic. They're really hardworking. And they very much embrace the work-life blend. The, the word balance doesn't, isn't even part of that equation. It's work and life blending together throughout their days. So that's the next generation, and I think uh, we have to encourage older folks to be able to say, hey, it's a different world. Go with it. Because you know what? We have a lot more in common with those generations than we have apart. 
We were idealistic. They're idealistic. They want to work hard. We want to, wanted to work hard. They share an optimism about the world that we want to encourage. So we have to open our minds to the, the things we share in common and not look so much for the differences. Well, uh, one of our sort of favorite questions uh, so far uh, this year is, is there an app or a gadget or a process or something you've added to your process that you might share with us? Well, it's going to sound a little odd, but I am based in California. I have uh, built-in meditation as a part of my days, and I think that's important for people. And uh, so I have a couple of apps that help me with meditation, and that's an important part of uh, kind of just clearing my mind. What I found is as a result of that, when I focus on something, I get it done in a much more concentrated period of time. And I think it has to be about what I'm reading, too, because I have a favorite book I wanted to share for sure. Yeah, yeah. And what, uh, what book will you share with us? Uh, it's called The Four. The Four, Hidden DNA of Amazon, Apple, Google, and Facebook. It's written by a, a business professor, Scott Galloway, who's also been on the board of several of these digital companies. And it's really helped me. He's dissected what is it about Amazon, Apple, Google, and Facebook that have made them successful, and what are the characteristics of the leaders and the team and so I'm learning a lot about that from that that I can bring back into my workplace at Fraser Communications. Well, fantastic. Um, uh, you know, those are a great, uh, great book to check out and certainly uh, love the meditation suggestion. Uh, I don't do it enough, but I, when I do do it, I, I really enjoy it and appreciate uh, its benefits. And so many people have come on this show and talked about that, those benefits. Really? I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear. It's not just people out of California, then, that are Yeah, it's are not promoting. just those hippies, right? All right. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's right. so many good apps, Headspace. So when I, you know, I've, I've asked people about apps, a lot of people have said things like Headspace, uh, Brain.fm. There's a lot of great apps that really can help, you know, those different types of things. Uh, if you want a guided yeah, meditation or just space. a simple... I'm a big fan of theirs. Absolutely. That's my favorite app. Um, So you mentioned a lot of great things today. In summary, if someone only remembered one thing or stepped away, what was the one thing you hope that they might remember or or have heard today during our conversation? I think I'd like to ask people to always be empathetic. Try to take the other person's point of view. As a leader, it'll make you stronger. Well, that's great advice. And how can people get a hold of you, learn more about Fraser Communications if they're interested in, in, in learning more? So FraserCommunications.com is our website. I have a blog that appears regularly on the website. They can also reach me at rfraser at FraserCommunications.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Happy to uh, uh, link up and share more information and insights. And please listen to my or read my blog at uh, FraserCommunications.com. Renee, thank you so much for being a part of the show today and sharing uh, so much about uh, what you're doing and leadership. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, it's been great. And hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things you're doing. Thank you. I'll be happy to talk about our weed campaign. And next we're doing one on opioids and oh. <laughs> prescription drug addiction. So I'll give you an update the next time we talk. Uh, that sounds like really, really needed stuff right now. So uh, I can't wait. All right. Next guest, my next week, my guest will be Danny Starr, the CEO of Websites Depot, and then Doug Harris, the CEO of Kaleidoscope Group. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2. 